Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Daf HaShavua as we begin the final parak of Meseches Yevamos. As I was learning through this Mishnah, I said to myself, Baruch Hashem, that today a man only marries one woman at a time. Because if not, you end up with a really, really difficult situation. I know in speaking to you, uh, a number of you mentioned, you know, the repetitiveness that we've seen, right, the last uh, several weeks. What we have over here this week is a woman who, let's call her uh, Rachel. So she's home. We're going to call home the place where typically Rachel, her Sarah, Leah, which is the second uh, wife of, call him Ruvain, lived. But Ruvain took a trip with uh, Leah, that's the second wife, if you're following me, they take a trip and they go away. And she is told that her husband died. So in a regular situation, as we've been discussing, you know, assuming all things being equal, she could get remarried. But the problem over here is there's a Sarah. So this is a good review of some of the things we learned in Masechus Yavamas, that even if she had a child... Right, if, if the Sarah had a child, so then there's no more Yibam issue. She could marry anyone. But we don't know if she had a child. If there was no child, then uh, Yibam would be an option. So what do we end up doing? So I was just going through this and saying, Baruch Hashem, we don't have to worry about this. And we just have to deal with everything we learned in the last parak. I saw in uh, the Chashuk Echemed, I don't want to go through the whole tshuva, he has an interesting case. He wants to know, here's the general question, when a husband goes overseas and uh, he leaves his wife behind, how do we know that he doesn't marry someone else? And that could end up getting us into a Mishnah situation if for some reason he ends up dying. But he said... Listen to this, Lasikum, his conclusion. Again, I'm not going through the whole tshuva, but that's the gist of it. He says, Nira, Shepa'ofen Ragil, in a regular, typical situation, Lo Chashinon, we're not concerned, That's not one of the things that we're concerned about. He says that in general, and you'd have to understand why. But he says, and that's why I say the Baruch Hashem today, Ubiprat, Ha'idna, today, that uh, polygamy is not allowed. You can't marry some, you only can be married to one wife at a time. And he gives some other sources from the Ein Yitzchak, Helech Beis, Ibn Ezra, Simon Yutes, Os Zion. It's just interesting, you come through this Gemara and you realize uh, a situation that is not going to apply halach lamaisa, and you start to appreciate the times that we live in because of that. So I just wanted to throw that out as we uh, begin this parak in a very difficult blot to relate to. I wanted to point out, somewhat parenthetically, but on, the, uh, on this daf, Rev Zilberstein deals with a very fascinating issue something that we discussed, uh, not exactly, but we discussed earlier in the Masechta, 
the prohibition for a Gioris to marry a Kohen. So he deals with a case what's called Pundicus. Pundicus is surrogacy. You know, there's different type of surrogacy. We have a surrogate mother. Sometimes it's a situation where a traditional surrogate, the woman gets artificially inseminated with the father's sperm. They then carry the baby and deliver it for you and your partner to raise, which means that uh, parents really had a biological mother who helped them out. We're going to assume in a situation like that that there's going to be need for a gayrus for the child, which is no problem. But then that child is a gayer katan, going back to what we learned, and we'll learn again in Mesechus Ksuvus, is going to be, won't be able to marry a Kohen. Okay? No problem as far as um, them being Jewish. But then you have something which is more common today. It's called uh, gestational surrogacy. Through IVF, they make it possible to gather the eggs from the mother, fertilize them with sperm from the father, and then they place the embryo into the uterus of the gestational surrogate. So the surrogate then carries the baby until birth, but does not have any genetic ties to the child because their egg wasn't used. So here's a suffix, whether Ogeris is required or not. And the question that comes to Rev Zilberstein is if you're going to end up doing a Suffolk Gairus. Now, the reason why it's a Suffolk Gairus, according to many, is because the Gemara never established a case like this. That's what Rev Zilberstein says. And this is, I'm, I'm going way beyond this issue. There are those that will say it's 100% Jewish child. But I just want to show you how Rev Zilberstein ends up taking uh, a Gemara like we have, dealing with issues of who's the mother, Tsara, Tsarasa, Chazaka, the Rove situations that come up and gives you a halachlamaisa application. It happens to be that his conclusion is lamaisa nir hatira likahuna. That's how he holds, but I know that there are poskim that hold differently. I just want to add one point, because I wasn't really giving a share on uh, surrogacy. You know, Rabbi Tendler, Rabbi Moshe Tendler's Zatzal, published an article in Chakira, which is a, uh, a very good journal that comes out of Brooklyn. So it was a bunch of years ago. He said that the um, the surrogate mother does have influence on the child, which means uh, it contributes biologically and genetically to the fetal development. It's not as if you take this uh, egg and the um, sperm of the mother and the father, and that uh, supersedes any role of the genetic, uh, of, of the carrying mother, the surrogate mother. So that could end up being an interesting uh, question, how that would play out. There's a chuva of Shlomo Zalman that he quotes, I didn't see it inside, that both the genetic and gestational m- women, that both of them would be considered as the halachic mothers of the child. Um, I don't know, again, if this would have any impact on marrying a Kohen because they won't be Gairus, right, assuming that both of them are Jewish.
that would be the nafkamina. I guess if the mother, the the surrogate mother, is not Jewish, they probably would do, out of uh, stringency, following Rabbi Shlomo Zalman's position, they would do a geras on the child, and then most likely would not be able to marry a Kohen. That gets us into the question, if you do a geras out of Suffolk, is that, by definition, does that knock out um, marrying a Kohen? So there's a lot more to say about these discussions. These these are questions that come up. It's way beyond my uh, ability to answer these questions, but I have referred them to a much bigger Rabbanim than myself, Major Poskim. Okay, for the last piece, we'll have a bit of a shortish year today. We'll get into a very interesting issue. It happens to be Halachalamaisa. Let me give you the case. We're going to back up a little bit and uh, learn a Gemara, Meseches Chulin. These halachas are found in the Shulchan Aruch in Yerdea. The Gemara in Chulin and Davtzati Hey Amid Aleph establishes a, a very pr- important principle of Kol de Parish Meruba Parish. We assume that uh, whatever is separated comes from the majority. This is known as the halacha of Rov. It plays out in a number of different ways. We know that on a derisa level, for sure, in matters of Suffolk, we go we go after Rov. Achre Rabim Lahatos. So what happens? You have nine stores. The Gemara there describes it's actually a brisa. You have nine stores, and nine out of ten of the stores sell um, meat under the RCBC. No problem. One of the stores sells absolutely non-kosher meat. It's not even under another hashgacha, so it's definitely non-kosher meat. So what happens? The guy's walking around, you know, the end of the day, and he finds a piece of meat in this area and uh, doesn't have a label on it, you know, no bags like we have today, no Glad Express bags. So today this could be practical, right? You can't even get a bag in the store in New Jersey. So we assume that since 9 out of 10, I mean, that's more than just a rove, it's a super rove, we assume it's kosher, since the majority of stores sell kosher meat. This is going to come up also in kashras in the house with dishes. What happens if you have three dishes that look alike, which you shouldn't have, you know, milchiks and fleshiks, and you're not sure which dish you ate from, we're going to go after the rove. It could happen with forks and spoons that look alike. And this is the basic position of the Chachamim. There is another position throughout Shas of Reb Meir that we are concerned with the Miyot. The Miyot is less than the majority, so he wouldn't allow the meat to be eaten. So the Gemara comes up with a question. You need that background, and then you'll get the question. We assume that the Gemara said that this woman is not allowed to get remarried to do Yibam, even though her husband died, because he went on this big trip with his co-wife. But if the co-wife was pregnant or had a child, then she would be, the woman back home, would be able to marry anyone. And the Gemara establishes that more than 50% of women in marriageable age are pregnant or have a child. So, you know, you have to do the exact statistics, but it's, it's going to be over 50%. So therefore, she should be allowed to go ahead and get married. It's a pretty good kasha. So the Gemara here says there's two different types of rove. It's a pretty famous Gemara. 
there's a rove to Isse Kamon. There's a rove that's in front of us. That's the case we gave you with the stores. The Gemara gives another case with the Sanhedrin. That's like Kagon Teisha Chanuyos. But then there's a Ruba de Lesse Kamon. In the case of majority that is not before us, which means it's what's happening overseas, you don't see it, and we're dealing with not every woman in the world, then lo azlinan rabbanon basaruba. Then even the chachamim would agree that you don't follow the majority. Now, how this plays out, halach lamaisa, is a big question. Is a big question. First of all, on a deraisa level, based on the pasuk in Shemos, chaf gimel beis, achri rabim lahatos. We follow the majority. There it's talking about Dayanim, so I guess the majority is before us. But others want to use that Pasuk beyond to apply in other cases as well. But at least uh, we're introducing you to this general principle of Rov, some of the sources that have you had for it. And even when talking about Rov, you have to understand that there are two different types of Rov. Now, on a Rabbanon level, Rov isn't going to always be enough. That's why, for example, when it comes to uh, somebody calls me up and asks me meat and milk got mixed together, we're not just going to ask the question about rove. We want to make sure that there's shishim. Okay, that's the stringency. But there are cases, even in kashras, where you're dealing with uh, rove, and rove will be enough, such as the meat case that we gave you before. Okay, keep going. Have a great week.